And no matter the industry, leaders need to hold these things dear. Who we serve, how we serve, why we serve. This is People, Process, Service, a Frontline Source Group podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of People, Process, Service. I am Tyler Kern. Bill Casco is here as well. Hey, Bill. Hey, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Excited for 2020. They decided for 2020 people needed to see our faces. I don't know why. It's scary. I don't know why either. I it have is, no idea. It is a scary thought. But we have a fantastic guest today here. I, I'm super excited. Uh, an incredible guest. I am very, very excited as well. His name is Bob Lawson. He's a professor at SMU. Bob, I want to let you kind of give us your full title because it is <laughs> ridiculously long and I couldn't remember it. Okay, so I am the director of the O'Neill Center, which is the William J. O'Neill Center for Global Markets and Freedom. I hold an endowed chair. It's called the Jerome M. Full and Wider Endowed Centennial Chair in Economic Freedom. And I work in the Cox School of Business at SMU. Did you get all that? Each one of those words costs some donor a million dollars. That's a good point. So I should probably that's, remember that's how that, that works at SMU. Here's you the best million part, dollars, though. you get to add a word to the title. Here's the best part. Bob and his co-part wrote a book uh, called Socialism Sucks. And, and the beauty of this book is that it's two economists drink their way through the unfree world on beer, right? We're gonna drink our way through this we podcast, We are gonna drink right? our way through this pod, what do you call a video, is it a video cast? Let's call it a video podcast. Right. Uh, we're gonna drink our way through this today. And part of this is that we have picked, I don't know, 12, 15 something beers from around the world. And we're gonna take a sip and Bob's gonna to try to tell us what country it's from uh, as we go through. And we're just gonna do a sip and we're gonna move on to the next because we have a lot of beers to drink through today. And then we'll discuss uh, the country that it is and maybe it's even one of the countries in the book. And somehow we're going to work in the people process and service portion of all of that, which really is interesting because you couldn't have written the book without the right people, right? No, that's right, yeah. I, I can tell you though that this book's a terrible way to learn how to do this blind tasting because we, we just tasted bad beers. Right. <laughs> Socialist <laughs> beers are terrible. Let's I imagine these beer. are going to be some go good beers. So let's taste this one, this see what one. it is. All right. Hmm. I'm not sure about that one. And I, I have no idea. Uh, you, I don't even know. You brought these. I, 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 I did, but I don't know what they are. I got. I'd be lying. I kind of like it. Yeah, it's mm, not be bad. honest. It's, it's not, a it's little not citrusy, bad. maybe yeah. a double hop, but it's white. He's not just an economist, everybody. This guy knows yeah, his beers. What no, is this beer? Where's this from? What country? France. France. Ah. Ah. It's a little. Reminds me of a goes, but it's German beer. But. So, so France. Did you guys go to France? No. No. no they're not quite socialist enough yet. <laughs> but they're on the track there, then. Well, they, they want to be uh, socialist, but. So what qualified when you decided to do this book to where to start? Because one of the things, right out of the beginning, the first chapter is like, uh, you're, you're in uh, Sweden which yeah. is all the way back to 2009. Yeah, yeah. We didn't actually go to Sweden for the book. We had been to Sweden and we, we needed Went to cover- for the cover, beer, right? Well, yeah, the beer is great. Right. In fact, that's the first tell that Sweden isn't socialist. Uh, the title of that chapter is not socialism. Right, yeah. And, and it's because the, the first tell is you go there and the beer is great. We're drinking some really good Belgian beer. It was really expensive. So what we all know about Sweden is their taxes are really high. Mm -hmm. But high taxes don't make a country socialist. Uh, what makes a country socialist is the government running and running the economy. And the Swedish economy is a private economy. I mean, Volvo's a private firm. People buy and sell products in grocery stores that are privately owned. Mm -hmm. You know, you live in private homes. 
it's not a command and control socialist economy like the Soviet Union right. or something like that. Right. So, um, so we had to get that out of the way because we didn't want people confusing, and there is a lot of confusion on both the far left and the far right on this question. We didn't want people confusing uh, that this book is not about social democracies like Sweden or even the United States. It's about Cuba, it's about North Korea, it's about the old Soviet Union, places like that. So when you first decided to write a book, how did you kind of tackle that, I suppose? Like, that, oh, that to me God. seems like such a daunting task. Oh, we had no clue. I mean, we're ben, my co-author, should mention, Ben Powell, is a professor. He has a long title. He's at Texas Tech University. He mm -hmm. runs something oh, called no, the no, Free Market it's Institute. Second one, second one. Try this one. <laughs> you want to try this? Yeah. Mm. Mm, that tastes warmer. <laughs> that tastes a little bit like a German lager. I was okay. going to say, like, give me a German lager. What do we got over there? Austria, very close. 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 Yeah. close. Okay, all right. Yeah. That's not bad. All right. Yeah. So Ben, Ben, and I are both academics. Uh, he runs a center. I run a center. We're in our middle ages. He's a little younger than me, but mm -hmm. uh, we're at a point in our careers, let's quite frankly, where another journal article doesn't matter. <laughs> I've written a bunch. One more or less doesn't matter. And to a certain extent, it probably doesn't excite you as much as a it, it, project. Probably like so. This. Yeah, it might be a little bit of a midlife crisis in this book, too. And, <laughs> and we like to travel. We, we, he and I have hiked a lot of mountains together. We did Kilimanjaro. We've done a lot of big mountains. We've done a lot of, of travel, a lot of drinking. He's a big drinker. And we decided to combine our passions. Uh, he's a free market economist like me. And so, well, we like free market economics, we mm -hmm. like drinking, we like traveling, let's just go someplace. And the first place we went to, it's not the first chapter, but the first place we went was Cuba. Interesting. And, and we said, but partly I wanted to just go to Cuba. You know, I mean, and then we said, well, let's, because we want to write it off our taxes, let's write a <laughs> chapter. And then we, did, we got the chapter written and tried to be funny. It's a very, it's, the title of the book is, tells, I mean, it's very Anthony Burdaney. Yeah. Uh, I think we say the F word on the second line of the book. Um, so it's not an academic style of writing. Right. Um, so we just went to Cuba, we wrote up a fun chapter, circulated it to our non-economist friends and say, hey, do you think this is worth going? And they all loved it and we just kept going. But there was no real plan. Uh, there was no master plan. After a couple chat, after we went to Venezuela, we said, well, maybe socialism's a theme. Socialism wasn't even really a thought at, at the beginning. But socialist countries to two free market economists are great places to go and visit mm. because just walking around and, and seeing things, you can see, ah, oh, that's, that's weird. I wonder why that's weird. Oh, that's weird because this is a socialist country. So, socialist countries so, are so weird in Cuba, the number of beers yeah. that they had available uh, yeah. were very few. Yeah, this is also unintended. The beer became a running metaphor through the book. In Cuba, there's only two beers. There's Cristal, it's a light lager, and Bucanero, which is a little darker, bocky kind of beer. It's a lager also. Um, and that's be why aren't there more beers? Uh, if you go to any other poor South Caribbean island, you go to Jamaica, go to Dominican Republic, they're as poor, maybe a little bit less, but they're about as poor as Cubans. You go to Jamaica, there's 400 beers available from all right. over the world. Right. Why aren't there only, why are only two? Well, it's because this is a socialist economy. And the socialist planners who run the Cuban economy they only, first of all, allow two companies. I think it's actually one company that makes two beers, and they don't allow imports. What's the normal alcohol so, content level? Uh, percentage? They were four or five percent, basic. Yeah. Nothing special. Is that what it is? So and, nothing. And they were skunky. They tasted like you'd left them in the sun. Well, we probably did leave probably them in the did, sun. Yeah. Too yeah. Long. yeah. All right. Here's another one. We'll try this. So, one. is this new? Yep. It's a new one. Oh, mm. Man. Mm. That's really good. It's got an interesting. Tastes chocolatey. You think? Yeah. I don't know. What's the expert say? 
I'm going to go Mexican lager. Mexican lager? Ooh. What we got there? Australia. Australia? Ooh, wow. Well, interesting. Fosters? Australian for beer? They don't no, have Fosters don't. in Australia. It's a fake <laughs> it's label. A fake. <laughs> yeah, it's only available. Here. No, 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 kinds of things. For this. So, yeah. so two beers in Cuba, yeah. which is unusual, you think? Or is that okay. something you all of a sudden were like, why? Well, it, it doesn't, you don't realize it at first. Right. Uh, there's only one kind of Coca-Cola. It's called something cola. Ben called it Kami-Cola. <laughs> um, and that, that's so that, so there was so there's just no variety and that's that's the thing about the Cuban economy it's not uh, they're not starving in the streets the people in Cuba are getting enough calories to stay mm -hmm. alive um, they're not eating particularly well but you know but when you go into a, a even a well stock and there were some well stocked Cuban stores mm -hmm. I mean you go into what we would call a 7-eleven little convenience store a little tienda sitting on, on, on a street in, in Havana and there'd be stuff but if you count it it'd be like oh my gosh there's only like 20 different items here yeah you know i don't know how many items are in 7-eleven but i bet you there's a thousand or something different items five right. several hundred mm -hmm. distinct items for sale so the utter lack of variety now many of the cuban stores weren't even that well stocked you'd go in and there'd be four or five things for right. sale and it'd be empty shelves but even the ones that were well stocked they, there was no variety and the, the central planners they just don't put any value on giving consumers lots of different types of choices so you get one kind of cola, two types of beer. You walk in, you'd see a whole, you know, whole bunch of, you know, some kind of cornflake, you know, yeah. cereal, and it'd be just one brand. And so after a week there, and, and we're rich tourists, we can actually buy our way around the island pretty, pretty well. Um, you were just desperate for something different, and I can't imagine living there and right. being poor and living there. Sure. It's a certain type of drudgery almost that really is, and, and that's weird. Again, it's not normal. You would not even poor people in say the Dominican Republic. Uh, and and it would not have that kind of, of dreary sameness every day after mm -hmm. day. Now they're they're poor and being poor is no fun, but um, it's it's not the same kind of poor as you get in other countries. So you, you go from Cuba to what was the next one? Well, the first chapter actually was Venezuela. We started okay, in right, Venezuela, Venezuela because okay. we wanted to kind of say you know first of all it's current socialism like Cuba these are currently operating socialist economies, um, but the Venezuela was a disaster. I mean they are actually not feeding themselves. Right. Uh, the average Venezuelan, according even to the government, has lost between 20 and 40 pounds in the last couple of years. And wow. it's not because they're on Jenny Craig. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a... a they a, have beers. Well, sort of. Okay. They have one beer company, again, socialism. Uh, it's called Polar, uh, Empresas Polar. And they have actually had times where they couldn't make beer. The, the factories have shut down. Wow. And the reason is the government's in control of foreign exchange and they need dollars to buy barley because they don't make barley in Venezuela. So when the company doesn't get enough dollars, they can't get enough barley, they can't get enough barley, they can't make beer. Uh, I don't think they've actually run out on the street, but the company has actually had to cease production on a number of times. I don't know, if I was a socialist planner, I would make sure we made beer, vodka, or whatever, <laughs> right. whatever we want. Uh, we're gonna run out of toilet paper and everything else because that's socialism, you know, is famous for that kind of thing. But at least you'd make beer. And you know, they're not even doing that in Venezuela on a well, reliable basis, so. Yeah. So when you mentioned yeah. Anthony Bourdain earlier, that yeah. was so speaking was my language. language. Uh, should we try this? Yeah, one? we should. We should yeah. have a bell that yeah. does go off. That's Heineken. He said that's Heineken. Thailand. Oh, oh it's Sing Tower. Thailand. Or or, Thailand. Wow. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. See, so they have that skunky. I kind of thought you were right. Uh, so they have, yeah. Uh, so Thai Asian beers are kind of skunky, like like. Yeah, Heineken like a is. like a Heineken. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. So. You mentioned Anthony Bourdain. What I loved about his show was that you 
you know, thought you were watching a food show about a right. chef that goes around the world and eats food and that stuff like that. But along the way, you learn lessons about, you know, the history of a place, some of the culture. You get more than what you initially thought. When did you first realize that we're kind of, you know, we're writing about economics here, but what we're really doing it is packaging it in such a way that it's more accessible but for the average kind of regular That was person. the, absolutely was the initial goal. I mean, mm. my, one of the first things this has been, let's, let's write a book that's the bastard, sorry, can I say that? You can say child. <laughs> Another couple of beers, Anthony, we can say whatever yeah, right. we want to say. Anthony, it's the bastard child of Anthony Bourdain and Milton Friedman. I wanted the style of Anthony Bourdain. I yeah. wanted it to be light, funny, but it's a, deadly serious topic, socialism, mm -hmm. literally deadly serious topic, and we're economists, and we wanted it to bring some rigor to mm -hmm. it. But, you know, we've written boring journal articles that no one reads, except maybe our friends and wives, <laughs> and they, well, our wives don't read us, they, they pretend. They to. pretend to, yeah. And, yeah. and so, we're like, you know, let's write a book that people want to read because it's it's lively. Mm -hmm. Right. But we're mm -hmm. going to slip in some economics in here. Sure. Um, and so we've got some hard price theory. One of the things we do, I, I forget which chapter, is we, we had to describe Marxist economics. <laughs> In a, and it's a short like, book, and we had we we, we basically allocated ourselves 150 words or something. Mm -hmm. It's like I got to summarize Karl Marx <laughs> in 150 words and not make a mistake that yeah. my friends would actually know, my economist friends. And so we, but we did. You know, we talked about surplus value, and you know, and we talked about these really kind of esoteric Marxist terms because they matter for yeah. if you want to understand socialist economies, you got to understand the, the the granddaddy was was Karl Marx. That's really yeah. fascinating. That's really fascinating. That's, that's kind of what, what I'm so intrigued by, is just writing something that is accessible to everybody, yeah. but you, you almost don't realize you're learning, and then all of a sudden you're learning. Well, and I think it's breaking it down in so many terms that you've compared it to beers, and the number of beers available and yeah. what the, their economic situation is correlates in so many ways. And when you read about North Korea, that was the one, to me, that was probably the right. most interesting of all of them. Next to, uh, I don't know, China was very interesting, yeah. also, but North Korea, to me, was interesting right. because they don't actually produce a beer. Well, they do. No, they do. Is that what it was? Uh, or was they, it uh, antifreeze? So we, we didn't actually, I should clarify, we didn't go into North Korea. Okay. Our wives refused to allow that part of the trip. We went to, instead, we went to the Chinese North Korean border. It's a mm -hmm. city called Dandong on the China border. It's on the Yalu River. It's the biggest city that connects uh, China with North Korea. And um, uh, we did buy, actually, some North Korean beer on the, on the streets. These North Koreans... Huh will barter across the river. And uh, so you can buy, you know, North Korean, North Korean money, some handy make works and things like that. But also some people were selling some beer. So we bought a couple. We actually drank one on another podcast. It is Kibbe on Liberty. It's a great podcast. Um, uh, so I don't know if I'm allowed to advertise other you podcasts on your podcast. But not a socialist. There, there's not a there's yeah. Too. There's not a word to describe how, how toxic that, that beer was. I mean, right. I've never actually drank industrial solvent, but this is what I imagine industrial solvent tastes like yeah. if you drink it. I mean, I, I was genuinely concerned for my health. It was so awful. We had we had a ton of what we call tall boy, maybe a 24 ounce type uh -uh. can. And we had three professional alcoholics there and neither one of them, we could not finish that, that, <laughs> that, that, that can of beer. Oh, this it one's, was this one's beyond darker. awful. This is darker. Oh. Ireland. Ireland. Mm. Ah, Sapporo, oh. probably. Yeah, that's good. That's interesting. Got a little sour though. Like yeah. That, so. so the North Korea thing. So then, why are there yeah. the the chapter on on China? Yeah. Also, why, why are you doing all that? I mean, how are you figuring out where to go? 
Uh, I mean, who's yeah. guiding you along this? Because it doesn't happen all. Yeah, it, it makes yeah. it look like if you're reading through here, sure. happens in a couple months. This is obviously over. Yeah, we, we'd go somewhere about six months later. We go somewhere else, right? And, and we did like the China and the Korea stuff was one big trip, but right. um, it was pretty much planned just by the two of us on, on a, you know, just on a whim. Right. Mm. But for Venezuela, we did uh, we did contact some friends in Colombia, and they hooked us. My Spanish is good enough to like get around, but it's not good enough to interview anybody. So right. um, we found someone who knew a friend and they, they came with us. Okay. In Beijing, we found a friend of a friend who um, is a journalist and, right. and kind of a free market guy himself. So he helped us in Beijing and then we, we gave him a hundred hour plane ticket and we flew to Dandong because we're like, we're not buying a plane ticket, but we'll, we'll buy a train ticket. He flew to Dandong and, or came to Dandong with us and helped us there. Uh, he also had some Korean, which was helpful because mm -hmm. on the border there, it's it's kind of a mix of both languages. So we did some planning in advance uh, in Moscow. We did a little bit, of, but but I got to be honest, we didn't do a lot. We just sort of ar arrived. We had maybe a hotel. We didn't even book hotels for the whole trip. Sometimes we just had a hotel the first night, and we were just we wanted to wing it and let our sort of st street level experiences you know give us the color commentary the stories we could tell and then we could layer those stories with the economics so the so fake socialism in china was yeah. something i found it was yeah. very interesting especially talking about the the pay wise uh the amount of pay that people were making um average annual income you know people are still living on less than five dollars and fifty cents a day well not many uh i mean so you know, in, in China today, we call that that chapter fake socialism because right. although they haven't given up the Communist Party's political control, as we all know, mm -hmm. they have given up hard socialism. They are no longer centrally planning the Chinese economy. They allow private, they've they privatize the farms, they have private businesses, you can make profit, you can buy a Mercedes, you know, whatever. You can't criticize the government, which is a separate but important. Yeah, but which in, in this chapter right. talks yeah, about well, that we, obviously we, happened. We should talk about that. Yeah, That's I great. thought that was very interesting. So we call it fake socialism because it's not <clears> really a socialist economy anymore. And you can see that in the cities with the skylines that just go on for miles. And Dandong is, is, is not, it's not even a major Chinese city by Chinese state, city standards. Yeah. It was the most, it was five Dallas skylines in arena, wow. at least if, if more. Um, Beijing, you know, and Shanghai, and, and you know, we did Shenzhen, I've seen that in other trips. It's just, these are amazing places. So that's real, that's that's more or less capitalism. Now it's crony capitalism, the government's still doing a lot of things, the capital markets are a mess, we talk about this stuff in the book. Right. But it's 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 not socialism like Mao had. Mm -hmm. Mao literally collectivized, nationalized the entire means of production. Every company, every entity that made anything, whether it was food or you know, manufactured items, everything was controlled by the government. And that's Clearly not the case today. How are their beers though? Um, well, I've I don't I've had a couple Chinese beers. The beautiful thing is when we were in China, because it's not a socialist economy anymore. Yeah. We had beers from all over. We were in Dandong, which is again not exactly a backwater, but it's not Beijing. Uh, and we're walking down the street. We see this beer bar with bottles of beer. And I said, there's Lakewood <laughs> Lager sitting there at that local Dallas beer. Are you serious? I'm totally serious. Wow. I don't know how they get this stuff. They must smuggle it over. They brew that beer in Garland, Texas, yeah. and it's in China? And so bring it into so, North Korea. So, oh my God. That was also, again, it's, it's a tell. You're not in a social, if you can buy, if you can be in a backwater city uh, yeah. like Dandong and find beers, hundreds of beers available in some just random street vendor, uh, you're not in a socialist economy. I guarantee <laughs> right. it. Right? Right. You're in a, you're in something like a capitalist economy now. Uh, All right, let's try so, this one. Yeah, this is another darker one. 
Ooh, that's that's got to be a. That's like the maltiest one so far, right? Yeah. That kind of, a little bit. Hmm. We're getting to my my kind of style now. More like coffee, a beer taste. The more I'm into. Oh my gosh, it's a Starbucks beer. <laughs> I, I'm thinking English or Irish too, but I, it's not bass, is it? Scientific over here. You can hold the, the big lights yeah. right up here. You know. Any guesses? Yeah. I'm going to go England. England. What do we got? Ooh. This is not Peroni, though. No, it's no. not. It'd be a lot later, wouldn't it? No. This is not Peroni. So, so you guys are in China. You yeah. are attend. You went to a meeting. Yeah. So we went to a, there were, we, long story, but we yeah. ended up at a conference uh, in Beijing. Uh, we only went for like a couple hours, but it was a really cool conference. It was about Ayn Rand, the author philosopher, and Friedrich Hayek, the Nobel Prize winning free market economist. And we're huh. like, oh my gosh. We're within a mile of Tiananmen Square, and we're with Chinese professors and, and students, and we're talking about probably two of the greatest anti-communist intellectuals in the history of the 20th century. Right. How cool is this? Right. Well, it wasn't cool very long. The next day, that conference was continuing. We were actually going off somewhere else, but the conference was, was continuing. The next day, the government showed up with armed thugs, and they padlocked the doors of the building, at, with people still in the building. Uh, and they shut the conference down. And that think tank is called Unirule. They about yeah. six months ago they 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 closed up shop. They, mm. they were forced to stop. So they, yeah, evicted and yeah, had all types of problems. Yeah, they've been they, since I think since that even came out, they yeah. they, they, they don't exist anymore. Wow. The government has, has harassed them out of existence. Wow. So we, there is a real there is a real contrast, sort of a schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, the Chinese people are now free to buy and sell and, and prosper and, and, and create businesses and do those sorts of things. But they don't have the freedom to the civil freedoms, the civil liberties to vote, um, to speak their mind, or even have a conference uh, talking about Ayn Rand. Mm. Um, so, so it's a it's a schizophrenia, and, and, and it's an open question as to how long that that imbalance is going to be sustainable for them. Mm. I mean, it's just mind-boggling when you think about a beer from Lakewood showing up there. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, I'm not crazy. over it. I'm not <laughs> over it. Yeah. Was there was there a common theme that you noticed? Kind of running through. Oh yeah, we should try this. Sorry. See, I would have best the Italian thing on this one. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is Peroni to me. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. I'm a Belgian white. Have we had a Belgian one yet? No, I don't think. That's my guess. It's still pretty low alcohol. Most of those Belgians, you can taste. It's a good point. Let's see That's if we have. Point. The, it's like, is it like wine? You can tell how much alcohol by the. I, I go to Bill for all my wine info. Uh, so. Yeah. I guess. Uh, I got no clue. All I right, keep saying Heineken. Oh, Canada. Oh, the Canadians. Oh, Molson, Golden, or something. Is it Molson? I think it is. Is that Molson? Yep. It is. How many have we had now? That's number seven. Okay. okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Okay. We're rolling. We're literally over, though, aren't we? Yeah. You at least named it once you once you identified the country. a couple times. So, did you notice a common theme running through the people that were in? strictly like socialist countries, right? The ones like like Venezuela, like um, you know North Korea. Like a anytime you talk to people in countries that are very socialist, did you notice a common theme kind of running through those people of either attitude towards the government, attitude towards their own lives, attitude or attitude towards ambition, investment, things like that? Yeah. So uh, in Cuba, we were we we found it difficult. People were not willing to talk. It's mm -hmm. still pretty repressive uh, and we're outsiders. Sure. So 
uh, did broach a couple topics with my poor Spanish, and um, it was clear it was uncomfortable to them. Um, in Venezuela, we had some interviews. We talked to one couple, Paulo and Ana Maria were their names, and they had driven three days, actually one way, so it's a six-day round trip, to buy some groceries on the Colombian border. Um, and uh, that was really horrible to think about. I mean, they were middle—they were middle-class people. They weren't peasants. They, they, I think Paolo worked in a hotel, mm -hmm. and they were, uh, needless to say, they were quite outspoken about the situation. Uh, the security is—it's it's dangerous. Um, they don't know, you know, literally now where they're going to get food. They—they they were worried that this might be the last time they could do this trip because it's so dangerous to travel. Uh, so, so that was probably the most memorable thing I, from the, all the travels mm -hmm. was talking to them. Now in. Um, in Moscow, we, did, we ended up in Russia too, and we did talk to a lot of people who remembered Soviet times. And, mm. and now that you're free to criticize Soviet times more or less, um, you, you know there was no, no shortage of commentary right, uh, about right. the difficulties. Once Rocky Balboa beat uh, Ivan Drago, right, yeah, it ended, yeah, ended yeah, the Cold War effectively. And, and there's a little nostalgia in Russia for the old Soviet times, but but huh. you're still you can criticize you know the Soviet Union. I mean, people talk just day to day life. Yeah. you know, waiting in line. Getting butter, um, you know. I used to, I, I, one of the things I asked. I asked people there for their first Coca Cola stories. Oh, uh, that's pretty like, cool. You know, because if you lived in Soviet times, at some point or another, you had your first Coke, mm -hmm. and you everyone knew that was the most iconic. Levi's and Coca Cola, the two most iconic yeah. American brands in their world, and and they remember their first one, and it's usually quite an emotional story because it, it's like we finally, I finally had a Coca Cola. It's like, yeah. what are you like? You know, it's nothing to me, but right, right. But so, so those kind of stories, and they were quite free. Hmm. So Cubans weren't very free. Um, uh, the Chinese were surprisingly free. They, again, we were hanging out with these economists who were studying Ayn Rand, so yeah. it wasn't really a sample. They were quite forthright hmm. about their desire for freer China. Um, but they're still communists. Uh, so if you look at Russia, yeah, truly communist, right. what was the beer situation there? Same. Same like, as ch you can get everything you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we drank a lot more vodka there. A lot more vodka. Yeah, you, know, you go local. I mean, it's you sure. go with what's good. So one of the things in the book you talk about is Lenin's grave. Yeah, uh, and people were lining up to to still go in because it was free. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in Soviet times, and also Sorry, all I'm, social I'm economies. So <laughs> almost all social economies. Here's what happens: the government takes over the production of goods and services. Because governments are terrible, this is a very short lecture. Yes. Because governments are terrible at making things, you get not a lot of stuff made. Mm -hmm. But then, now normally if production goes down, prices go up. Right. But then socialist governments being <clears throat> what they are, they put price controls on. So it's a combination of low production and low prices, which inevitably means shortages. And so uh, socialist economies always have shortages. And it means waiting in line a lot of times. And in Soviet times, there, it, I mean, entire culture, the entire culture was driven by waiting in line. If you, if you were walking down the street, maybe after work, off the way from the subway to your apartment, you see a line, you would just get in the line. And then you'd ask the person in front of you, what are we, what are we waiting for? Because <laughs> if there's a line, it must be something good, right? Right, you know? right. It's not and, cowboys tickets. Exactly. You know, so it was, uh, and there's no, no point waiting in line for yeah. those guys. No, yeah. they're, they're not there selling no those line. anymore. Yeah, I'm a Bengals fan, so <laughs> I have no room to, to talk. Uh, so, the, so, so, the, so the lines were a thing. And now today, of course, Russia doesn't have price controls, and they don't have a central plan, so there's no shortages, um, except for Lenin's tomb. I thought that was pretty funny, because the yeah. one place I found a line in, in Russia was waiting in line to, to, to visit the architect of, of Soviet communism, right. Lenin. Uh, and it's for the same reason, though. There's only one Lenin. You're not going to, and they, they don't charge for it. So uh, supply or demand exceeds supply in the classic economics. So, so when we hear about socialist countries today, yeah. 
then what are the successful ones? Mm. I mean, we hear that Canada is socialist. Yeah, right? so that's the Sweden problem. I mean, <clears throat> again, there's no central plan. Canada is a market economy. Now, um, they have government. We have a government here, and our government isn't actually a lot smaller than the Canadian government when you do the math. Uh, one of the things I do in my day, my day job at SMU is I'm the author of something called Economic Freedom of the World, and we use this a lot in the book. Right. And it's an index, it's a scale from zero to 10 of sort of how free market or how socialist you are. And Hong Kong is the number one country, it's the most capitalist, and Venezuela is the least capitalist. Um, so it's a scale, of, we have 162 countries. So uh, Canada is in the top 10. They're up there with the Hong Kongs of, of hmm. the world. And so when you look at their property, I mean, private property, you know, there's farms in Canada, who owns them? Canadian individuals, it's, you know, they sell their products on world markets. Canadian companies are privately owned. There's no central planners in Ottawa deciding prices for the most part. There's regulations and that pushes, and that's why they're not perfect. But it's not a social economy in any sense. Um, so, uh, so that's, so yeah, there's plenty of successful uh, countries right. that have, Government. I mean, I think so but many times you that's hear not the same thing. it's socialist because yeah. their healthcare system, their banking yeah. system, high taxes. Um, well, yeah. so high taxes. there are so there are elements of, of the Canadian economy uh, that are socialist, uh, and healthcare is one of them. The government does in fact control the means of production in, in healthcare, uh, and that's a socialist thing. Now, that's one thing out of hundreds or thousands or mm -hmm. tens of thousands of things that get done in Canada. Right. It's a very important thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that doesn't make the country a socialist country. Now we have that here. I mean, who made the roads as we can see out there? And, you know, we have socialist roads. We have right. socialist public schools in the United States. I don't think it's accurate to call the United States a socialist country because we have roads and schools that are run by the government. Some of our socialist roads stink. Um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Our, some of our schools stink too. That's I, I, a good point. Yeah. So, um, so, so, you know, we don't find that, that, that what you find when you, when you go all the way, when you go past, there's no map bright line, but once you go all the way, there are no success stories. I don't, I don't think we have an answer to that one. I think this is Heineken. Mm. Keep going, I'm just Heineken. gonna keep saying that until I'm right. Lebanon. 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 Yeah, well, I'm never gonna get that. Wow. Yeah. Last time I was in Lebanon, the beer did not taste like this. Really? I've what never is, been in Lebanon. What's the last time you went there? Mm. Did you did you get inside of a box and fly <laughs> to Beirut? <laughs> that, no, can I ask, are any of these American? Because that looks American. No. Okay. You're saying this looks like a Miller Lite? Mm. No, it's too dark, but it just... Uh, yes. No, they're all starting to taste the same. Yeah. Is Lebanon socialist? Nah. It's it's in the middle. It's got... Yeah. I mean, we, we have... If we were able to get the beer, that tells me they're probably not. Yeah. Right. Wait, so you said from 1 to 162, Canada's in the top 10. Where's yeah. the U.S. rank then? Top 10. Top 10, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Even if Bernie Sanders were to win the election in 2020. Yeah, well, maybe we'll be bottom of the top 10 then. I mean, really, it's not. <laughs> well, that's, you know, yeah. that's where I was going to kind of go with yeah. it. I mean, how how much more, what, what would it take to actually move up in that? Because you hear the scare. The scare yeah. tactic out there is talking about we're becoming a socialist country. They're going to make a socialist, blah, 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 blah. It would take an awful lot to really swing. You wouldn't get that Oh, far. yeah, you would. I mean, and that's why most countries... Don't change a lot. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, we're talking about like collectivizing agriculture. Mm. I mean, that's what to go to go from the top of our list to the bottom. That's the kind of thing you'd have to do. And, and you know, that's never I mean, even Bernie's, you know, not going to do that. Right. He's not going to nationalize 7-Elevens. You know, right. So <laughs> that may not uh, be a bad thing. Yeah, I don't know. Right, yeah. uh, hey, I like 7-Eleven. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Where else can you get, you know, foot cream and a taquito? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and a hot dog that's been on there for three right. hours. Uh, Sometimes it's what I need. And then Georgia, I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the country of Georgia, the, the former Georgia, Soviet yeah. Republic. Now, I'm a minor expert on this. I've been there. I've actually lost count. I think it's in the order of 15 times. Really? I, I've been going there every year or sometimes twice a year since 2005. Um, and uh, they became independent from the Soviet Union in 91. They had some problems for about 10 years. In 2003, they had a little mini free market revolution. And uh, since then, the Georgians have basically uh, gone crazy. They are, I think, 12th or 13th mm -hmm. on the Economic Freedom Index out of 162. Mm -hmm. So they're not as free market, say, as Hong Kong or even the United States, but they are they were part of the Soviet Union 30 years ago, and today they're 13th. That's a wild swing. It's a huge, it's, it's, by, by, no, it's by far the biggest swing any country. Now, it's a tiny country. They have, I mean, our city is twice the size of their country. But um, it, it, it's an amazing experiment of taking a very, a, really a hard socialist country and turning it into essentially a hard capitalist country. Hmm. And they did it in a very short period of time, and uh, it's been great. And to continue with the alcohol uh, sort of metaphor, right. um, the wine, and so they, as far as we know, wine historians think wine was invented in Georgia. They really? Think that this is the cradle of winemaking is Georgia. And you they need have, to go, Bill. Oh, it's, apparently. Dude, yeah. It's amazing. So they have, I, last I saw an article, they have 42 different local varietals that don't exist anywhere else huh. in the world. Um, and. In Soviet times, they made wine there because Soviet central planters weren't complete morons. They knew Georgians made wine. So they, but they just made French wine style crap that no one would really, I mean, mm -hmm. billions and billions of gallons of just swill for the masses in the Soviet swill. Union. Drink. Right. But since, the, since all those vineyards are bankrupt now, because no one wants to buy that nonsense. Right. But since the, since the fall of the Soviet Union, since these free market reforms, the Georgian wine business has exploded. So again, they have these weird varieties of grapes that don't exist anywhere else. And then they have a winemaking style. It's an old, old world winemaking style. It's not very complicated. They have these big clay pots called Querby. They throw everything in, stems and seeds included, and they bury the pot, wait a few weeks, pull out the pot, voila, wine. And uh, so like white wines will come out the color of that, that beer. It's a amber almost mm. color. It's a white wine. And it's, if you're a wine snob, you absolutely must go to Tbilisi, go to Georgia. Wow, we're gonna have to check that out. Yeah. So, so when you guys would go into a country, what was, I mean, when you decided you're gonna check out the beers, you're checking out what's going on, did you have a, the same, did you do the same routine every time? No. Or did you? Yeah, each one was different, kind of <clears throat> local. Uh, sometimes it was tailored by, um, frankly, who was there. In right. Georgia, I've, again, because of my contacts there and my many visits, um, uh, we, we did a lot of lectures. Mm -hmm. It's also a way to get, you know, universities to pay for it right uh <laughs> right. so um did we even know, guess with that last one by the way so i don't know i don't know <laughs> i've lost track that was czech republic oh interesting yeah. all hmm. right i'm running out of countries <laughs> i'm still trying to figure out how they got the beer here i'm still trying to figure out how lakewood got yeah. a beer to china that's what I'm, I, I, I think someone smuggled it in their carry-on luggage you know. i don't really think uh, <laughs> there was an exporter there yeah there was a way that um, I think there's yeah. just an underground market that, that yeah something. All right, now this tastes very American. It's really light. It's very light. Yeah, mm. that's the best one. Tastes. I'm gonna go Greece. <laughs> Greece. Oh, Greece. What do you got? Mexico. 
Yeah. Uh, Corona. Corona. Yeah, so very American. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and kind of talking about Mexico too. I mean, where does Mexico stand? Well, in the Economic Freedom Index, they are almost dead center median. Okay. Uh, so it's obviously not a hard socialist economy. They don't have central planners right. running, you know, making <clears> decisions. <throat> but it is their private economy is heavily controlled by or infused with government regulations and, and corruption and bribery right. and you know and things like that. So it's it's very much uh, it's as good, as good. It's one of the best examples of a really a truly mixed economy where they. Yeah. They're not socialists in literally that this hard sense of that word. They're not capitalists in the hard sense of that word. Either. So you know, we talk about the United States and that going to becoming socialist or, or moving that way would be very difficult. But do you, are there areas within the United States that we find cities that act more socialist than other areas? Sure. Yeah. So, well, uh, I don't know if this is a, a, a you know an advertisement or not, but my no. center at SMU. <laughs> My colleague, Dean Stanzel, he has uh, an economic freedom index that he does for the 50 states. Okay. And he actually does one for the municipalities, for MSAs. Mm. There's 280 municipalities or some number. Right. Uh, last, I think, the report just came out. Texas, I think, was fourth or fifth out of the 50. Okay. I think 51 because they do D.C. And then uh, DFW and Houston were in the top 10 or 20. I think uh, seven or eight of the top 20 were actually in Texas. Just by virtue of being in a no-income tax state, right? Um, uh, Texas cities kind of, yeah, kind of benefit. But you know the way that Texas. some governments, yeah, obviously manage yeah. or run. Yeah. Things. Now, I, I think one of the challenges that he has is that the difference between I think the highest-rated state of New Hampshire and the lowest-rated state, which I think is California, New York, that difference is nowhere near as great as the difference say between Hong Kong and Venezuela, like I have in my okay. index. So, so he's really got a, I think he's got a more difficult job. He's it's trying more granular, to, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he's trying yeah. to figure out these small differences between places that are more or less the same. And the city level is almost, as, as, you know, the same kind of thing. Um, so, but we, you know, we, we, we take measurement seriously at the O'Neill Center. I think measuring things is important and measuring um, the sort of economic freedom or the capitalisticness of a country is important because it, it allows us to make these kind of conversations, have these conversations and do studies, academic studies, you know. Yeah. Um, we do find that not only do, do countries that are more free market do better, we also find that's true in the states and the, and yeah. the, and the municipalities. So the last one, yes. This is looks it really? like a yeah. wheat, maybe. I'm not sure I'm going to like this. No, I can tell you I don't like this. Oh, is that sour? Yeah. So I already know what this one is, so I got to throw it in there. So we were thinking about cities in the country, because this is from in the U.S. It's from Austin. So that's uh, kind of where it well, went. No wonder it tastes it. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's a cider. It's not really considered, oh, okay. is it? Is it really the same thing? It's alcoholic. It is alcohol. It's like, <laughs> it's is something. it a pear cider or something now? No. Grapefruit. Oh. Uh, Mm. I do like some grapefruit beers, but I don't know about that. When you smell it kind of with the idea of you're <laughs> about to drink beer, now, yeah, you get now, the now it makes a little bit more sense. So, so at the end of the whole thing, do you feel like this book, when it was all said and done, really gave something to look at? Like we should be afraid if all of a sudden our beers start disappearing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean is it, uh, it's seriously, when yeah. you look at it, is there a correlation? Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of, we wrote this book in part because we wanted to talk about the success of free market economies and the yeah. failure of social economies. And we wanted to get to reach an audience that normally wouldn't read our stuff. I don't know how much we succeeded there. I mean, the title, Socialism Sucks. I don't think if, if you were a socialist kid, if you were a little Bernie Sanders uh, you know, <laughs> acolyte, you're probably not gonna pick up this book. 
So the title is a little off-putting. And I think, right. you know, on the other hand, the title is pretty cool. It's fun. I think a lot of people pick up the book because of the title. Right. Uh, so I, I do, I, I think we've had mixed success. I think we've had a lot of people um, who now have better arguments about, about why socialism doesn't work. Yeah. And maybe, you know, even if it's this, the metaphors of beer and alcohol, if that's part of their, becomes part of their rhetorical repertoire, you know, they can, when they're talking to people, maybe when they're at Thanksgiving dinner with their, I hate to say millennial, but their young niece who's, you know, a socialist major at Bryn Mawr. I'm sorry, yeah, I looked at you, I didn't mean, uh, I think this, all this generational stuff is nonsense, but. So I, I think we've succeeded in some ways. Yeah. Um, well, even if people worry, watch though, the news so. more in, in a more informed yeah. sense, right? Knowing yeah. that the U.S. is not socialist, right. yeah. not going to be socialist. Yeah. Like, that to me is right. even just an informative just thing. Just knowing that, like, Sweden isn't socialist. Exactly. Uh, like that's that's a yeah. big kind of change of mindset almost. Yeah. For a lot of people. Yeah. So Bernie Bernie now will say when people point, he, he's been he's been a socialist his whole life. He's used the word. He went to the Soviet Union for his honeymoon. Right. He is a socialist, or at least he was most of his life. Today, mm -hmm. if you ask him, what do you mean? What, what do you want us to be like? He says Sweden. But Sweden isn't socialist. So right. Bernie's, I think, a little bit of a liar and cheat. But but we wanted to make sure, if, if nothing else, call call that bluff. It's like, mm -hmm. if, you, if you say you're for socialism, that's fine. But don't tell us that's Sweden, because the Swedes aren't socialists. They don't like being. They, they, you go to a Sweden, they're like, we're not socialists. What are you talking about? Yeah. So the flip side of that is, is uh, right-wingers, uh, conservative libertarians, people on my side of the aisle politically, uh, we shouldn't be calling Canada socialist either. Uh, mm -hmm. Just because they've got one socialist element to their economy doesn't make them any more socialist than ours. We have socialist elements. So I think we all need to use the word socialism a little bit more delicately. <laughs> use it when it means something. Venezuela is socialist. Mm -hmm. And in Venezuela, people are losing weight because of it. Yeah. And hundreds of, we have body counts in the book too. I mean, we yeah. do, I mean, it's hundred million people the, uh, are dead because of it. Yeah. There's so much content. You don't think there's a lot of content. There's some great stories in here yeah. and, and very interesting and really eye-opening as you read through it. It's a good read. Also, it'll make you laugh uh, at different things. And it also makes you wonder, what the hell were you thinking doing this? Because there are a few times in here where I'm like, you're nuts uh, to be doing it. But uh, socialism sucks. It's uh, get it on Amazon. Amazon, right? Amazon. You find me, I'll sucks. sell you one out of the back of my car. <laughs> now that's so, capitalism yeah. at its best, right? But I, I enjoyed it, and it's a very, very interesting book, and and really, the beers were good too today. They were. I don't drink beer often enough, apparently either. But I think that was like three beers in a matter of like thirty minutes. I'm a lightweight, so uh, <laughs> you know. No, this I, I enjoy this a lot. We enjoyed visiting with you. Uh, a few months ago at SMU, and uh, really, guys, it, it's well worth it. Check it out, uh, and I, I can't thank you enough for coming on here. We did Thanks, really Bill. pitch thank around you. the whole part about what our people process oh, services, yeah, but I, I think know. at yeah. the end of the day, so. you definitely had people helping you get through this thing, and you know, you had your process to drink your beers, and you really did a service by writing about this because it's mm -hmm. something new and opening. And the, and the Canada thing, I think, is a great, great point to point out. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. It's been a blast. Well, yeah, enjoyed it. We'll do it again uh, coming up soon, but thank you everyone for watching this episode or listening to this episode of People yep. Process yep. Service. This is Bill Casco. I'm Tyler Kern. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.